All right, everybody. Welcome to another podcast of Wood, Air, and Metal. This is the last one before we have a very special guest next time. We're both looking forward to gleaning much guitar goo yeah. with from this cat up and coming. And not so that, having to just listen to each other. Yeah. It, I mean, it, we do kind of pay attention to each other for the most part. Uh, and it all depends on how many beers we've had. If that. True. How many beers Tim's had. I'd stick with Josh. Generally, <laughs> though I do, I, I do partake in a bad. I don't. Ha- I haven't had beer in my house and. Oh really? I just, it's not that I'm like, teetotaling it or anything. I just haven't been in the mood for it. Basically, yeah. I go through swings. It's like sometimes it's like constant, and then other times it's like, I just don't care. Yeah, no, it's same same here. We kind of go. I mean, beers. I guess we generally have some around. But we'll kind of go through phases of bourbon and wine. Yeah. And most like, of the scotches I like are just too expensive, so I don't buy those. <laughs> that's also the problem is, like, I'm not an alcoholic. I just enjoy the taste, which is a problem because <laughs> it's not cheap. Like, my favorite go-to bottle is, like, 80 bucks. So, it's like... I was in Scotland, like, a year ago. Yeah, I remember yeah. that. What was that? The, it was a 17-year something. And of course, it was only like four bucks there or something. Yeah, for a glass. Yeah. <laughs> but I think around here it's like a hundred and fifty dollar bottle or something. Mm-hmm. Like, yep. But it was so good. Yeah, my I did have uh, a friend of mine bought me a bottle of McKellen eighteen for standing in his wedding, and I was like, dude, that is. Uh, You're like, can you get married I- again? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, <it> w- <laughs> I, I won't tell the story. Well, maybe I will. We opened it on his wedding day, and we drank the last of it when his divorce was final. So <laughs> it's kind of morbid on that so one. There's, if there's still a chance. There's a chance for another one. Chance for another one on that one. That's why I'm bringing it up. It's a very morbid. Yeah, so he doesn't forget. Exactly. So, but that was <laughs> disgustingly good. That was like drinking liquid caramel, and I'm surprised I had it last for that nine months. That uh, all that because it, it was, was only nine months. Yeah, yeah, yep. That was a uh, uh, something that I would have liked to have known yesterday, type of situation. So that was uh, the way that it was. But whatever, we got some good scotch out of it and good memories. So sure. good deal. Uh, going from divorce to guitar and scotch for the guitar mostly. Uh, so these seem like trends, or they seem like uh, topics that go together pretty well, actually. It depends on how many. <laughs> <laughs> and what you get caught with <laughs> you know the worst what was that the worst fear is that a man te- his wife sells his guitars for what he told her he paid for them oh right <laughs> <laughs> oh man but uh, on that note we've been very restrictive with our texting conversations because like we'll start and then it's like no no no, no let's just wait for the podcast like Tim will interject and be like no we should wait for the podcast I'll do the same thing like nope Let's, uh, I'll make a note in my notepad app and here, and uh, we'll keep that for the podcast and bring the subject back up again, uh, rather than dive into it and expend all of our glorious input. Yeah, it's, it's funny how quickly we can get like riled up about it. So oh, hopefully yeah. we'll bring some of that energy today. Oh, I think we will. <laughs> I, I, I think we will. Well, let's just dive right in. Let's start with the Holdsworth quote. The Alan Holdsworth. If you don't know who he is, stop the podcast. Go listen to him, preferably on some place that gives him more than 0.00004 cents of stream. But whatever you can get on, 
get a clue into who he is as a musician and just the absolutely stunning player that he is, and then come back and pick up where you left off. I think most podcast apps just uh, pick up where you left off. So, you know, it'll be like no time has happened, and now you'll know who Alan Holsworth yeah, is. We can talk this quote about practicing, which in that case, Tim, that's all you. Wait, do you have the quote in front of you? I do not have the quote. You look like you could have the quote. Are you going to find oh. it? Yeah, you got it. My memory is shorter than a goldfish, I think. <laughs> well, they, they actually have a long memory. That's a myth. So there's much, much longer than mine. Okay, hang on. I got to scroll back through our conversation, which is gigantic. <laughs> I'm, I'm, t- I'm into the fuzz. It'll be, wor- it'll be worth it, I think. Hang on, it's loading. Oh, don't crash on me. It's not going to crash. So so I guess why he's looking for that, one of the things about Alan Holdsworth, if you're not familiar, is he's uh, got to be one of the most unique guitar characters ever. There, There's a lot of people that have sort of copied his thing now a little bit, or try to copy his thing, but he came out of such left, like a left field with it. There really wasn't anyone like him that came up and... A lot of that is his own doing, which we'll kind of talk about here. Um, oh, I, I kind of, and I'm now I'm remembering what the quote was. I was thinking of something else for a second, but uh, so Alan Holdsworth is from the, the more the jazz fusion side of things. His dad was a pianist, like a, a good jazz pianist, um, out of um, England, and so Alan's whole take is he actually never really wanted to play guitar. Um, he always wanted to play um, something else. Usually saxophone is what he says. Um, it really, it just didn't appeal to him. Um, he liked it, but it wasn't like the thing that called out to him. But saxophones were expensive, so his dad got him a guitar. <clears throat> and then, from what I can tell from conversations that people have had with him, that his dad had, like, didn't, his dad would teach him stuff about music. And it wasn't from a guitarist perspective, right? It was from just a piano um, or more pianistic um, take on it. And so Alan just pretty much immediately started applying the stuff his dad would show him um, to guitar, you know, and he would just figure out how to do it. No one showed him or told him like, oh, this is how guitar players play a C chord or something. His dad would say, oh, here's the C chord voicing on the piano. And Alan would try to figure out how to do it on the guitar. So his, his like chordal approach and everything is very unique. And then he got a lot of his um, single line playing or whatever. is more like sax influenced or, or violin or something. Anyway, looks like you might have the quote up. Did you find you said, it? You said that you were, you were remembering it. and so Oh, I no. Sp- oh, okay, then I can speak, speak to it. I don't remember the exact words. It's like, no, I gotta scroll back. No, 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 it's okay. So basically, so Alan, though, he's an improviser. So he's a composer, an improviser. He's got a very unique um, style. And he's talking about sort of improvisation and, and how you practice. So he said, and I'm paraphrasing, that he practices in a way um, that he hopes when he plays for people or records music that he doesn't actually play the stuff that he practiced. Mm-hmm. So his goal as an improviser is to not 
like reiterate some lick or something that he learned or even some concept directly of what he's been practicing but that in the moment he like relishes the time when he's not doing that when he's not just like uh regurgitating whatever he practiced but in the moment because of everything he's done to prepare to that pr- prepare for that he's actually free to start inventing stuff he never played before to to try something that's that he never did um which is kind of opposite of a lot of players really i mean particularly any, any artist who performs and this is kind of like classical falls in this realm too in a lot of ways um but and and most rock guitar players who like sort of play notes or solos back verbatim um or play the play the exact part that they played on the record that that's not really like those you're practicing there is to make sure that every time you play that section that you always play it at least up to some level and that your fingers go in the right place and then it becomes sort of natural but for alan um and for improvise well a lot of improvisers or some improvisers the goal is to to really never do anything you practiced which is sort of an interesting um way to to think about practicing so how would you practice um to never to not actually play the things you practiced <laughs> i think like one of the just to kind of interject one thing that's yeah, in the back ahead. The first thing that I would say is like he clearly practiced some type of technical stuff. Like oh, there's no, certainly. so it's not like we're saying like he never did like drills in terms of getting his finger coordination yeah. or that. Yeah, and also the, just to the, sorry to interrupt and then I'll let you go. Is this is twenty years after he started playing? Yeah, right. Exactly. This is his philosophy at that point. This is not yep. the everything like building up to that point. Yeah, and that's what I just wanted to clarify. It's like just just for clarity, he doesn't wasn't just in there like kind of like feeling around it and hoping that he got stuff right or whatever. Like he did the work, but he just had a unique approach in terms of when he was practicing it at a level where he could apply the, the established principles and technique weren't a hurdle for him. So that was out of the way. But then he could take it and do whatever he wanted with it at that point. So he had control mastery to a degree in order to get to that next mastery. Yeah. You know, um, and that's, I just want to, not that I don't, I don't think we were confusing people, but I think that's one of the things. Oh, sure. Yeah, it wasn't like day one he started that yeah. concept. <laughs> but I think the concept's brilliant, you know, and I, 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 I will interject a little bit on the behalf of us classical guitarists. Um, as much as we do do that and practice the same thing again and again, that's just, just part of it. There is a lot of discovery in terms of getting the phrasing that you want, getting the, the tone qualities that you want, and the, the nuances in that, you know. And then uh, I, I distinctly remember when Jason, I, I saw Jason Veal playing at some uh, artist showcase thing. Uh, it was a relatively, it, it was a smaller venue than I would have ex- ex- expected for him. But either way, it was a chance to see Jason play, so who cares? Um, so he, uh, and I prefer the smaller ones. But anyways, so he was doing the 995, Bach Lute Suite 995 and playing the prelude to it. And like, he had this one shift that like, t- and totally botched it. You know, it was a split second, but it was enough in a room full of classical guitarists trying to go, you know, a little, a little uh, kind of subconsciously, but at the same time, it's like, we know he can nail it, so whatever. Yeah. And then where they heard him talking to one, I overheard him talking to one of his students, and this is why I'm bringing it up because it stuck with me. He's like, "Oh yeah, I was just trying something new, and clearly it didn't work." So, you know, 
And that's it. So we do do that. Like uh, we'll take approaches that are a little bit outside of what we've practiced to see like, oh, let's try it this way and see what happens and uh, whatever response that I get, you know, changing is uh, usually that'll be like a tone color thing or adding trills or different positional thinking. Oh, uh, sure. But it's, it's clearly not the same level uh, just to, to put that out there, but at the same time, put a temperament on it of it's clearly not the same level as, you know, freeform jazz explosion, spinal tap 2.0. Well, so that is, we shouldn't, well, I'm, I'm going to support you here. Okay. Another classical <laughs> guitars in that. I think that it's still part of the same frame of mind as what you were just saying. So like, for instance, some rooms you play in are deader than others. Some rooms the notes ring out more than yeah, others. Oh yeah, totally. Some yes. some rooms you do like a um a, a little why am I blanking on the some kind of like triplet thing or whatever like the like a trill sorry you do like right. a trill and they like don't come out at all you can't like you can't hear it you can't really get your fingers under it because of the room but other rooms they like really come out and like it just sounds great um, I think. I like to think in that moment, a classical musician is going to take advantage of whatever that room is. Oh, totally. Right. So like you might milk that one note more than you normally would because you, because it just like hits the walls just right. And like, and you just, you can sit there. Um, also, um, I think it it was a few months ago. I was listening to a lot of violin stuff in particular Bach and, it was really interesting sort of listening through the different ages, like the players from the fifties to the sixties to the playing the same piece to like today's sort of standard way of playing it, which I'm not a really much of a fan of. Um, But a lot of the like sort of fifties to seventies violinists were more like, let's say romantic with Bach. No, absolutely. And uh, it's beautiful. It's just because they'll they'll take these liberties with that piece that, and again, I think in the right room, in the right atmosphere, where certain notes just like come out so much better or whatever, and they're willing to go for it and sort of like milk that trill that was extra long or like really change the, the feel and flow of the tempo and the piece and stuff like that just to get those notes to sort of like stick out a little bit more. Oh yeah. And I, mean, I would it, think that that's very much the same. It's just, you know, um, very much the same kind of deal. What Alan was talking about. It's like those moments when you're there, I bet if you heard like it's like Perlman play that same piece in a different room in a different day, it would sound different. And that's very interesting. That is one of the things that I definitely do when I'm in a, a new space. Like if I, if I have enough time before the concert, which I generally do, you know, but you know, sometimes traffic is in the way or whatever. But back when there was uh, more concertizing opportunities, but it was always a matter of playing in the space first, just to get a feel for what's coming back at you, what notes are going to ring. Like we, we talked before about how guitars are tuned to specific notes. And uh, I'd say uh, that definitely factors into a room as well. Some rooms are exactly like you said, they, they yeah. bounce like a B will just be like, wow, that's really live compared to all these other notes. So in my head, it's like, okay, I got to pull back a little bit when I'm playing anything that has a B in it. And uh, just to keep the balance going. Otherwise, it's like a note that's not supposed to be in the front suddenly shows up and it's like, hi, I'm here. It's like, no, I didn't right. really it. It was just the room. Um, you know, and uh, I, the other thing that affects it too is how quick you'll take something at tempo. Like, because I, I brought in Steve to do a concert at uh, St. Sebastian's in Akron. 
and the room is incredibly live. I love it. Like it's like you can play a note and it'll ring. It's probably still ringing, <laughs> like yeah, right. you know. Um, but one of the things that he mentioned is like I can't play this piece that I wrote at tempo because it's so live. It just sounds like a jumbled mess. You know, if I go too quick, it just by the time it gets to the fourth row, that person's like, I have no idea what he's playing. Yeah, I guess right. he's go and that's totally true so it, it's nice some rooms are so live you can put the brakes on your tempo to keep it so that it's clear for the audience yeah, and right. that uh, a lot of people don't understand that go what's going on with that behind the scenes you know it's like I, you're actively listening you're playing off of the, what you hear back and everything like that in order to really I guess because they improvise in the room, at least in terms of the lines that are fixed, you know, kind of going outside of it with those particular aspects. Um, yeah. And so then the question becomes to narrow the focus a little bit, how yeah. do you practice for that so that you can do that in those situations, you know? And I, it, and I, and I think that would be very much in line, even though a, a different side of the brain perhaps than the yeah. improv, but, uh, it's very much the same thing. It's like, how do you prepare yourself with the right tools and the right amount of knowledge and the right dexterity and all these other things so that in that moment you can take advantage of that? I think that it, this kind of piggybacks on the conversation of what like you were talking about with getting ready for a gig and what goes into getting ready for a gig for you. And, you know, I, I'm... Uh, I haven't had anything on the on the books officially for a while, so or ever since COVID started, so I haven't really done a whole lot of like gig prep. But one of the like this routine that I go through, it's clearly it's finding all the most difficult. Well, for my own self, the first thing that I'll do is like find the most difficult spots in the music and pull those out. So that becomes my practice routine. So just in case life gets crazy, I, at least I'm nailing the difficult things every day and getting those under my belt. And then. Uh, one of the big things is, and this applies with the improvising aspect of it, is that I'll play the concert in different directions. Like even in this room, I'll play it facing the monitor. I'll play it facing that wall because it's tone difference from coming back from here to going into that dead space there. But even as I turn my head, it's like it sounds totally different to me over in that direction. Yeah. Um, I'll play it over there. I'll play it this way. I'll play it that way. I'll play it in a different room of the house. Uh, just to be able to get used to playing it regardless of the, the feedback aspect and not having that throw me off. Like, that's the first thing that the first reason I do that. The second reason is just to be able to hear, like, what do I change when I can't hear specific things as well as before? It's almost gotten to a point where I've wanted to bring like a, a, a miking system just to have in ear monitors of what's going out, you know, uh, as in terms of a, a classical guitar, all the music's going away from you first before it comes back. Yeah. So you have this like natural delay between your actions, as slight as it is, and what you hear back. So when you're in that moment, it's like you're always kind of playing off of the fact a little bit. It's almost like you have to prep yourself ahead. And, and during the, the notes, you know, it's like a, you're in certain passes and you want this to kind of crescendo. So you have to get it into your head mentally. Of, All right. I have to dig in more here because if you're trying to do it in the space, it's already happened. Yeah. Like, sure. it, so that, uh, is kind that, of that makes me I have a question then. This is always an interesting question for improvisers. But in the classical world, when you're playing your best, what's going through your head? <laughs> like the, uh, mo the moments where you're like um you know those like moments where everything is going good 
Yeah. Yep. Um, it sounds good. It feels good. You're like not really paying attention because you're paying, you're like, you're way in it, I think. But oh, yeah. You're not thinking like what hand position or anything. It's just kind of flowing out of you. So yeah, you know, what, what's going what's going on in your head in those times, or or do you get to those places where you're not thinking of anything and the, the, it just flows like that? And I would say that it's more of the just, and this is a clearly subjective thing because I've heard other players being the complete opposite uh, of what I'm about to say. But for myself, it's like I don't have to think about it. It's just there. It's just coming out. It's coming out great. I'm at a point of comfort to where I'm enjoying listening the mu- to the music that I'm playing. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking about the parts, but I'm not thinking about the parts in a ah, type of, like I'm trying right. to like, um, uh, what's, I don't know how to put, put it. It's like, you know, the, the, that whole like cartoon Tom and Jerry thing with the, they have the stacked saucers and they're trying to hold it to get it across the room. And so it doesn't, yeah, right. It's like that aspect of the positional shifting and everything else for difficult stuff isn't there. Uh, and it's more just like, okay, I'm just setting it down. And at that point, it, there's really, it's just the music that's going through my head, you know? And it's almost like, if I think what, about Like it, you're I'm, hearing the music and that's no. what's going through your head or like you're I'm hearing reading, the mu- reading the music or what, what's going through your head? What do you mean by music? Yeah, I, I suppose I, I need to make that clear. It's like, I'm hearing the music as it's coming back to me and I'm not thinking about it in the sense of like, this is coming next, this is coming next. So watch this, watch this, watch this. It's just kind of there. But to counteract that, if I try to think about it, right. it's like psh, the saucers come down, yeah. you know, it's, it's like Wiley Coyote walking out over the edge and being able to stand on nothing until he looks down. He's like, Oh, whoops, boom, and then he right. falls. And I think that uh, that totally happens. Like, it's one of those things when I, I, at least with the experience that I have, is when I'm in that moment to just let it happen rather than, and it's almost like a mental fight of like, just let it ride, just let it ride, just let it ride, just right. let it ride. It'll no, be it's all right. It'll be all right. Oh, no, it won't be all right. You know, take the, if there's a soundtrack in my head, it would be a whole lot of bleeps just to keep it kid friendly. <laughs> and uh, a lot of, a, ah! but at the same time, you know, when you hit those particular spots where it is like that, it makes everything worth it. Like, absolutely. Like, there's yeah, nothing sure. better. Absolutely. And I, I mean, there is like nothing better for me when it, it goes that well. It's like, hell yeah. You know, it. uh, yeah. I mean, I would... that's very much like the an improvisation like you're when you're in it you're not thinking like what scales chords any of that like yeah. you just it's not that you couldn't say it like it's not like you couldn't like cut it and be like oh that i i guess that was a phrygian thing over the you know you could do that maybe yeah um but you're just not thinking about it like it's not you're not even considering if it's what mode it is or this or that or you know it's just flow it's like this flow thing yeah and maybe it's a brainwave sync thing i remember when i was taking the lessons with jack chance at the university of akron mainly because i wanted to break out literally like what you were talking about with alan and his dad where his dad was the pianist and just yeah. kind of those things it's like i want to start thinking about the guitar as music rather than the guitar you know it, it where everything's like you know your pentatonic uh way up Oh, that was my headphone cable. I didn't screw that up. <laughs> sure. 
you know it's like where everything's a pentatonic and or this shape or this shape over this chord and something like that i wanted to get into more of the idea of like how are the notes functioning you know am i thinking in terms of the note relationships and so on and jack says something really good i mean i mean outside of like totally kicking my ass um in a good way but the uh he was just saying like you know you you start out with the intellectual game you start out working on that and connecting the notes and seeing how the notes go over this. And then you put the physical game in there to where you're, you're drilling it over it. You're, you're getting it and you're finding your groove. You're finding the, uh, the, the placement of all the, everything. And then he's like, eventually he, not the, his terminology, but it's like this synchronicity that happens to where you lose the mental aspect in the sense of alertness, but it becomes just a gut feeling. It's like you've sure. trained it so much and you're playing literally you're playing by feel, but not with the absence of technical knowledge. It's like, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's much like speaking, you know, yeah. like when you, that's the whole goal. Like a lot you hear improvisers talk about a lot. It's just like talking. Could I tell you that was a verb or a noun or whatever? Like I could, but when you're talking, you never think about that stuff. You just talk, you just say yeah. whatever you need to say. Same, same with improvisation. You've learned enough about the sound language, so to speak you know what a flat nine sounds like against this thing. You don't have to like say, Oh, that's a flat nine. That's a verb. That's a pre, uh, that's an adverb. That's a, you don't have to do that. You just use it. You use it as a way of communicating some idea. Yep. So, yep, absolutely. Or what's the whole thing. It's like, you never think about a kiss when you're in the middle of it. At least you should. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, so that uh, and that uh, I mean I, I guess there is a there's definitely a romantic aspect to improvising in that particular way like you begin to it's so weird to talk about it and try to put it into words because when you're in that spot that's the last thing that's going through your head at least for me like it, when I do decide to improvise if it's going well it's just kind of doing its thing and it's speaking on its own and my hands just happen to be moving around um, yeah but, I think um when it goes the best is is when it's coming from like what you're hearing as opposed to what your hands are doing like um i know so when i i studied a bit with chris crocco who's a great guitar player um we'll put a link in there if i remember um who studied with horn players like some of the greatest jazz horn players ever including george garzone but one of the things he was talking to me about was um like with a sax player, it's like, hey, you want to play an A? You just play an A. But guitar players, we go, oh, which A? You want this A or 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 this A? You know, which finger? Should I use my first finger, my second finger, my third finger? You know, like this whole like mess of things happens when you're thinking like that. But the goal is when I want to play an A, I just play an A. Um and it's so simple, but it's it's hard to get to that point on guitar because we're so... A, a lot of it's the way that guitar is taught, which is not note-oriented. It tends to be, like, pattern-oriented, yep. um, shape-oriented. Mm-hmm. Um, like, oh, if you know this say, then use this say because it's a, the cage thing or whatever. Um, instead of just being like, oh, here's an A, here's an A, here's an A, here's an A. Um, you know, just being able to, to get there because you just know it's there. You're not, um, we're always, there's like a big fight for a long time to get to the point where you just play an A because you want to play an A. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And so that was a lot of like what his whole philosophy was getting to. Um, And I think that's what Alan's talking about a little bit too. It's like you, you're not doing it because that's what your hand goes to, you know, because you worked out some crazy, you know, thing or whatever. Yeah. Um, It's because that's what you're hearing at the moment and you just do it. Um, you know, and I think too, like for me, I I have this band, the night terrors, the one that I did. And then actually really any band, it's not really a successful night for me unless there was at least one thing I did that I've never done before. Like never in 30 years of playing ever tried before. Like if, if I don't do that at least once in a gig then I feel like super down, <laughs> it's like, like I might as well, like, like I want to never play again kind of thing. Um, and it's kind of funny. It's funny how that is. I don't think a lot of people are like that. Actually. I think, a, I think when you tell me like, don't Julian Lodge, it's like you, you play what you practice kind of idea. Yeah. Um, yep. but I'm not sure that's true or not. Or well, I think the way that, that he approached it was like, everybody practices scales, you know, in a simple, you know, right. doing it that way. And he's like, how do you, if you practice just going up and down the scale, you know, again and again and again, all you're going to do is get really good at going up and down the scale. Yeah, sure. And so he's like, what I, what he would do, and I'm totally stealing this from his master class, is like he uh, would pick two spots and say, how many different ways can I go from this low G to this G here using the notes of the, like a, the die tan? You know, just figuring out different ways to land on this particular note, starting from here, but not yeah. in a order. And it doesn't have to always be ascending. Like it doesn't... You know, however he decides to get to it. So yeah. it was a really, really um, fascinating approach to things. And he's like, if you're doing these particular things, he's like, you don't do it to memorize a particular pattern that you think is cool. Though that, you know, obviously you have your own little stylistic things and come out of that. Okay, then I take it back because it sounds good. <laughs> Go ahead. <Continue. laughs> and no, exactly. And, and, and that's exactly what it is. It's like, oh, that was great. I didn't want to capture that. But that's also part of discovering your own particular voice on the guitar is you, you find the things that catch your ear and that you enjoy and you, you repeat those enough to make it so that you have the, it, it, I'd say it's like almost, if we're using a comparison with language, it's almost like coming up or, or getting an idiom in the language, you know, like, um, now that I'm using the term, I'm totally blanking on it. <laughs> uh, like, uh, you know, that's no skin off my back type of thing. You know, we use that so much, well, to, to a degree to describe like, oh, that's not a problem for me. And, but we don't, we could say that's not a problem for me, but the, the idiom of the language is so skin, the, the cultural thing with it. So in the, to shrink that down to guitar level, that's kind of like what we do, where, you know, it's yeah. a, somebody might approach that G going, another guy might right there, another guy just might be off, or whatever. So... Uh, whatever yeah, your little preferences or whatever to get yeah. there. Yep. Yeah. That's just, that, uh, that reminds me very much of like a Wayne Krantz thing. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen this. So Wayne Krantz, another fantastic, unbelievable guitar player probably has like the best time, like of any guitar player ever, <laughs> at least, at least in like the straight 16th, like funky groove sort of sense of time. Um, because he works on it 
endlessly if you ever hear him talk. But he, he has this book called The Improviser's OS. And there's, there's actually a new version now, and I haven't seen it. But the original version is kind of funny. It's this little white book, and you open it, and it's every possible combination of every note from 1 to 12. So it's just a, it's just like a computerized chart that comes out, right? So it goes like, oh, you could do 1 and 2. And so say 1 was F, then 1 and, you know... This is one combination. Sorry, my guitar's not in tune. But then uh, you could have, uh, you know, one, two, four, or whatever. You know, and that that's the only, that, that's your, like, scale sort of thing that you can use. And it's every one up to one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Okay. Yeah. Um, so every combination possible between all twelve notes. You know, it's been a while since I brought him up, so I'm going to interject Steve Vai's approach just to piggyback because he kind of has the same thing. Because he uh, was talking about like he would come up with some type of funky lick or a scale, and once I just build a scale and then write the music around that using chords based off of that particular thing. And it might have been something typical like a Mixolydian mode or whatever. But um, there's other stuff where he's just like, you know, I come up with this weird lick that's out there, and I'll take the notes and be like, okay, let's build chords out of these. And let's build everything else around this particular thing. You know, it might be like, you know, a Locrian sharp five or whatever. But it, however he's doing it, he's coming up with a different approach besides one particular this chord over this scale. And that's it. Right. And that's well, uh, so not to to finish the, the Krantz thing, though. So what he yeah. does, so what you do, though, once you take you pick one of those. So, um. And then you restrict yourself to four frets. Okay. And you pick a key, whatever key, doesn't matter. And you're only allowed to play one of the four frets. And so, like, say it was a, a G major scale. That just happened to be. So you're one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, whatever. Yeah. Um, and you started here, you know, normally you would think you could do that, but you only have four frets. So you can't actually get to that B. Okay. So you only have these options. So those are the only notes. But then make music with just those. You know, whatever. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, have a click or whatever with it. And then you can make your chords up with that too. Sorry, I'm still out of tune. But, uh... Um, so you make up chords just with those four frets. So you don't have any other other things you can use. And it sort of gets you out of the pattern of using like, oh, I'm using my three finger thing or or yeah. whatever. And and I picked G major scale just because we know what it sounds like. But, um, you know, it might be uh, like one, flat two, four, five, flat seven, whatever, something like that. Yeah. And then whatever that is in that four fret thing. And that's all you get to choose from. It just as a practice. Yeah. And then and then yeah. maybe do it here. You know, same same one, now a different shape. Or same notes, same key. Uh but see if you can do it in these four frets and these four frets. So it sort of gets you out of um being able to use like licks or hand patterns or something that you're used to. And you're allowed to do, you know, like he's even like, you can do, do, you know, 
bends or whatever to notes that are outside of that four frets as long as they are part of the original scale but it's still making you like use a bend you know where you normally might have done this but you can't you can't go to this fret you know so now you have to bend to it or something anyway uh, it's kind of funny though so you printed that whole book it's just like this little card book thing I, I wish I knew where it was and you're like you read through it and you're like this why why do I have this and there's a little like frequently asked questions at the end and so he's like so what the hell is this I think that's like the first question <laughs> what the hell is this book that's awesome yeah. <laughs> uh, to be that so that good and that self-aware and yet at the same time be able to poke fun of yourself is the sign of true musician maturity on that one yeah for sure. Just kind of that. so in terms of the the whole tourth approach with everything it uh it happens to be you spend time sitting in the room obviously getting your technique up because you have to be able to not have a physical hurdle to get to where you want and then it's a matter of getting a point of familiarity with what your ear is telling you to play to be able to pull it out in a quick amount of time yeah to an extent you know just to kind of like sum up that idea uh, and it's great you know it's like one of those things the best thing is you're able to have a chord progression going and, and you're just freaking nailing everything as it goes by like, and it takes that is great and i mean granted i my improvisation the classical levels are like a lot different now than they were 10 years ago um yeah i mean i, I think you know as a as a jazz person like making making changes isn't at some point it doesn't become like a big deal in a way um because it's just what we do all the time oh yeah i'm not talking in, in that sense i'm talking just like really having a solo that's speaking yeah well. so yeah so it's like what i heard a, a, speaking of holdsworth he had mentioned like somebody said well what what would you do different or something like that and he was talking about how he wished he would have realized early on that the um like playing the changes was not as important as playing the line so to speak so mm -hmm. like where the line wants to go, you should follow the line. And if it's the good line, it it will take you to the place you need to go. So like, um, yeah, it, like so the changes might be going this way, and you might be going this way, you know, but you both come strong to this point here, and and then it, it was important to learn that sometimes you have to go follow the line because that's the thing that's, a, that's the melody. That's the thing you, you need to follow and then, and then hit that. Um, as long, as long as it's going to the same place in a sense, then, then you're actually making a better move. It, it's kind of interesting to think about that too. Um, cause it's, it's also why he gets some crap from like some jazz people because like, well, he didn't make the change there or whatever, you know? But it's like, well, yeah, but it's like, listen to the line. The line's taking you exactly there. But mm -hmm. because it wasn't done in like a a jazz way, because um, there's all these like with jazz, like say that the, there's a one, six, four or two, five kind of progression, which you see a lot of. Um, there's all these like sort of accepted ways of not playing one, six, two, five and getting back to one. So you might put like Coltrane changes in there. Or you might do but if it's some other method of doing it 
there's not one of the like 10 acceptable methods and <laughs> then then it's like well you didn't make the changes but if you did cool chain changes which sound nothing like the actual changes it'll pull you back to one like where you're supposed to yeah because it's strong resolution you can do that in a lot of different ways um like i said anyway there's sort of like the quote-unquote accepted ones um which are all great and all wonderful and they sound amazing but anyway the, the line itself could go somewhere yeah. yeah and i think this um that's what i put it to kind of segue a little bit in the other topic of talking about like when you were bringing up like some guys use your guitar as the tone aspect you know um one where would you put uh holdsworth in that in those three particular sure. things and two where would you put yourself okay so let me explain what <laughs> I, so, I, so i had an interesting conversation going on on my facebook page which you could go find if you so desire um it actually was from three years ago i played a gig i think it was in erie um with chroma drive one of the bands that's unfortunately not been playing for the last couple of years that might have even been the last gig but i i like i couldn't hear myself at all at the gig um it's one of those things with the guitar player especially in like a louder like this is like a fusiony rock loud band we have a cd you should go buy it um anyway um or an album you can go download chroma drive uh anyway sort of like louder we call it like grunge jazz or something and uh i couldn't hear myself at all it was kind of loud in there in that room and the, the room was pretty live i couldn't hear my amp which really sucks when you can't do that because you can't work with the amp at all. Mm -hmm. um, so I kind of was like, hey, what is everybody doing with this? Because I really don't like amp stands. So like when you take an amp off the floor and you put it okay. on an amp stand, you lose the bass like response that happens with the floor. And then some people will say, well, yeah, once you mic it, you don't get that anyway. And blah, blah, blah. I don't know. But for me, the, the experience that I like... Um, is hearing that the other problem is guitar amps are very directional so like if the amps on the ground and it's by your feet and you're really close to it what you hear standing next to it is a lot different than what somebody like 20 feet in front of it the other way is getting like destroyed by the sound of it um but depending on how loud you are or whatever so it sounds very different depending on where you're standing so there's an element of like you kind of need the amp sort of like facing you so you either have to get far enough away from the amp that that you are in a good spot to hear it um or you have to lean it up or you have to put it on a stand or something but again i don't like amp stands they've i've never been a fan i've done it a bunch of times so i i was like and then another problem is monitors so when you play on a stage when there's a pa I suppose if I had my own like monitoring engineer and stuff, it could probably sound pretty good. But when you're like setting up and like somebody's just like, hey, there's a, you know, like they just kind of like do it real quick. They don't really like you want some more guitar in there or whatever. It never really sounds very good. It's almost always like very harsh sounding or something. Um, I, I haven't had a very good experience with that in general. Um, and a lot of that's just like timing. It's like, well, you only have like five minutes to do sound check. And yep. so you can't do it. 
all this long one. And so I started a conversation like, Hey, and of course I have a million guitar friends or whatever on Facebook. And so they're all, and a lot of them are gigging. And what I kind of noticed, um, this actually was three years ago, but I sort of saw the, the thing and I was like, Oh, wouldn't it be nice to have a gig? So I kind of reposted it recently by just adding a comment. And then more people started commenting on it. So I think there's like 200 some comments on this thread. Dang, man. And from any, everyone from like, um, let's say, more classical guitar type people who play with amplification <laughs> to jazz people who play like a big hollow body, uh, arch top to guys who are in like death metal bands to people that are, um, blues guitarists that like, there's sort of like a, quite the variety of people, um, responding on there. And one of the things I noticed was the different types of responses you got, <laughs> So some of the responses were just turn up the thing, right? Um, yeah, because another thing, oh, guitar amps, they sound better when they're louder. Well, tube amps do. They sound better when they're louder. Um, some of the people's responses were, well, I use an Axe FX, so it always sounds a certain way, and I bring my own monitor. Some of the people were saying, well, uh, if I play with a band that listens, then it's never a problem kind of attitude, you know, or not, I don't want to say attitude, but the kind of response that, well, if I play with a, uh, that kind of thing, another person was like, well, everybody should just turn down. If you can't hear yourself, then everyone should turn down. Everyone should play quieter. Um, and it's sort of disrespectful if they don't play quieter. Um, what's sort of the insinu insinuation? And yeah, then, some people was where you never turn up the amp, like turning up the amp ruins the whole thing. You know, so, so I got, uh, got a lot of different responses. So then it, it actually got me thinking, like I was sort of hypothesizing. Um, and I sort of have made up like three general. Yeah. Uh, this is just a hypothesis and don't shoot the messenger. And I think everyone's a little bit of all three of these. So let's start there. Yeah. <laughs> Not, nobody's just one of these things that, but I think that we may lean into some of these, depending on what our, our thing is more than others. So the, the first category to me is the person, the player that just wants to amplify the sound of their guitar. So to me, this would be uh, an obvious easy one would be like, if you're a classical guitar player and you were playing somewhere, there was a PA, you really don't want the PA changing the sound of the guitar. You're, you're, oh, you want it to sound just like your guitar, exactly like it, but louder, <laughs> right? And then there's also a lot of jazz guitar players, especially more like, let's say, um, more traditional style of jazz guitar players who want that too. They have an arch top. It sounds great. They really just want some kind of amp that doesn't change the sound of their guitar very much, if at all. Hopefully not, you know, and it, and it sounds just like an amplified version of the guitar. Maybe there's a little bit of like, they can add like a little bit of EQ here and there, but they're really not trying to change the sound of it very much. Then the second category that I, that I mentioned was there's players where the amp itself is just as important as the guitar, that the, the guitar and the amp work together as a as a whole it almost be like having the mouthpiece of a saxophone and then the 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 body um you can't have the like the guitar is the body where you play stuff on but without the mouthpiece it doesn't really sound like much 
And so you're actually using the, the amp as an instrument um, where how it responds to you is how you play. It's how you how notes come out on it. You're using it as a back and forth sort of thing. So to, to not be able to hear your amp in particular and those for those kind of players is really detrimental um, because it's all about like it's almost like you couldn't you like there's no guitar then like you're not actually playing your instrument you're just playing nothing um, and so there's that kind of player and some obvious sort of like picking there is I, I would say like almost like bluesish guitar players in general um, and, and really in particular people like Michael Landau or something where they like really milk the heck out of the amp <laughs> like it's really matters like just a little micro turn of the knob changes the response of the amp and it's very important that that thing happens in a way that they can use it because that's part of the sound of the thing they're making mm -hmm. um where like the first category they would really wouldn't change any knobs or anything right that's not going to be their thing they're not going to yeah. be changing knobs they're not going to be touching anything they're going to set it forget it and just play um and they're going to any like tonal changes or stuff will come in their technique on the instrument um the guitar itself which should be similar to like if you're playing acoustic guitar or something you want it to yeah. just do yeah. the thing that you do you're not relying on the amp to do any of that for you. The amp's just there to make you louder. And then the third category that I had, which is sort of um, a side shoot of the first category, is the um, you, you're using amplification and you're using effects and sort of things like that, and that's your sound it doesn't really matter so much um, what the amp is because ultimately what you're trying to get to is that sound. So that, uh, it doesn't mean that it doesn't matter. It's, it's kind of a funny line, but like, yeah, this is most of your like rock guitar player sort of things. This lists in my hypothesis where they're, it's like, you got to get that sound that you had on the record and that's the sound you want. Um, it happens to be this amp and this pedal and this guitar, but it's that sound. You're not really like, you're not milking the amp like as an extra instrument, but it is part of like your ultimate sound. And what you're mm -hmm. really trying to get out of it is that it, it amplifies it to a certain volume that people can hear it. Um, but it's not like a, in general, it's not about you, like how the amp responds to you. It's, it's about getting that end sound that's the, that's the goal. So um, I, I would say a lot of like, especially like the more modern metal bands, that's very much the sort of take. It's like you have, um, this is where like the axe effects and stuff really shine. Like you, you can put a sound up there. You know what it's gonna sound like when you go like this. And it always sounds the same. And you, you have a very good expectation for that sound. Um, and when you switch patches, it sounds like this and yeah. like that, you know, so you have this very like predefined like end sound. You're not, it doesn't really matter like that you're working with the amp so much. Again, mm -hmm. these are all in like in, in percentages and there might even be more categories, but these are the three that I sort of thought of. Yeah. No, so, it's uh... 
so to your to your question about Holdsworth, um, I think he's mostly in that category three, actually. Okay. Um, not uh, it's a little bit of a fuzzy area. So again, everybody's a little bit of all the categories, I think. Mm-hmm. So there's three, and there's there's definitely some two, especially with his like lead sound that he uses. But he has a very like specific clean sound that he uses. Mm-hmm. That always sounds very. I mean, I'm gonna say the same. I mean, it, it it altered over the years, but generally, like he put the clean sound on, it sounds like that clean sound. He turns the clean sound off or whatever, it doesn't sound like that sound anymore. The distorted mm-hmm. sound has a very specific, you know, like it's it's kind of the people that like here's my clean, here's my um, lead channels, here's my lead sound, here's my clean sound, here's my this my rhythm sound. Like it's that kind of person is is mostly that that three category that I'm hypothesizing about. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're, they're saying there's those sounds. I'm it, it never, never changes really. Like it might evolve over time, but it's very specific. You could program it. Um, so, but his, like his lead thing, he'll kind of like work with the amp a little bit. Like, I think he, you can hear him like sort of like, certain if he, a certain note can do a certain thing like he'll he'll kind of milk it so that sort of comes a little bit from the two thing mm-hmm. um i would say almost none of it is the one category yeah yeah um so then where do i fall on this well so if i'm playing acoustic or something then i'm totally in the, the one category right? yeah I think that's kind of like a given if you're playing any type of generally quote-unquote unamplified instrument you're going to fall into the one category because you want that particular sound that right. comes out of just as it is. So. And, I, and I would say when I'm playing jazz with like a hollow body kind of thing, I, I tend to fall closer to that number one still. Um, I don't know if it's all of number one, but uh, it's a little bit of one and number two for me on that front. Which is interesting though, I think a lot of the like more modern um, guitar players, let's say like Kurt Rosenwink or something, is much more on the three side of things. It's yeah, like, I was like gonna a, say his sound is. I mean, it can be. It's out. a very like specific sound. Um, I think the amp itself matters less um, than the effects or something. It's kind of like Gustav Assisi Brazil because uh, he uses axe effects, but he only uses it for the effects, none of the amp modeling or anything else. Yeah. So, that, uh, well, I think I think primarily most like any of the amp modeling people, they're definitely in, mostly in that category three. I, oh, yeah. I really hope this doesn't sound like horribly mean or something. So that um, you're just stirring up the Facebook comments. Yeah, I guess so. Comments so, are because they're be like, well, of course I care about the amp or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I know you do. Um, yeah. <laughs> so uh, where do I? So I guess I'm going to come back to where I think I am generally in the, to say that when I noticed the comments on my, my particular thread was well, some people would say, I don't really care what the amp is. I'll just put it on an amp stand. Um, I just need to hear myself a little bit better. Uh, I think, and a lot of those were like jazz players or maybe a classical player um, that sort of does pseudo rock classical thing. And they're kind of saying, I, I only need the amp to make myself so I can hear myself a little bit louder and that people can hear me. Mm-hmm. It, it, they're not using the amp as an, as a, 
anything more than that. So it doesn't matter if it's a solid state amp. It doesn't matter if it's straight into the PA. It doesn't matter. Like they're like, oh, just put a monitor in front of me. I'm cool. Like some yeah. people were, were kind of that attitude. The other people, um, more from the the part let's type three, were like, well, I have an Axe FX or I have a Halix or I have a Kemper or I have Neural DSP or whatever, and I, or they have like some um whole like switching system or something and they play in a rock band it's like a very very like specific sound so they're like well i'll just put in-ear monitors in and, and you know like that was kind of or i'll put a monitor I'll, I'll bring my own monitor and put it in front of me um and i think that that's satisfying but then there's the people that are that that middle category is the really the one that struggles i think the most um with sound so because it really matters for that middle category to hear the amp in a certain way that most lets them use it because <laughs> I, d I did see some comments where they were like, well, it doesn't matter how you hear it. It matters how the audience hears it. So don't you want the audience to hear it? So don't turn up your amp if, cause the sound guys now the amp, the stage volume's all messed up and like the sound, but they're like, what do you, what do you really want? You want the audience to be able to hear it good. Why well, would I would counter and say, well, the presumably the people are coming to see you play mm -hmm. for the thing that maybe you do or whatever. And if you're that kind of middle tier, middle uh, number two player or whatever that uses the amp as part of your instrument, then you can't do your thing without it. Like you yeah. need, you need to be able to hear it and you need to be able to hear it in a certain way. And, and presumably that's why they want to see you because you do that thing. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. so where do I fall? So ignoring the sort of like more acoustic -y sort of things. Um, I think for the longest time I was definitely type three. Mm -hmm. Um, and that was very much like I have this sound and this sound and this sound. It was very like specific. I knew how to get to those sounds. I spent a lot of time sort of like getting to those sounds in a way. Um, but in the last and especially it's kind of funny since that article in particular, or since that original post, like three years ago, I've much more become a type two player. Mm -hmm. And part of that's because I've got better gear or whatever too. And that's gears cool. that actually do the things that I want, like this red plane amp, which I've got fixed by the way, or I fixed it myself and it thankfully worked. Um, and it sounds glorious. It's like, you can really milk that amp and like play off of it and, do all these things um and to be able to hear how it feels under your fingers and like how that thing happens and it really does sound better when it's louder mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. and through certain speakers in a certain way um I, the uh i can't get away with those other things anymore and i think this is why i've sort of like gotten away from liking modeling so much and stuff like that because i don't think it's very good at this particular thing yet um it doesn't play off of you the way that an, a great tube amp does mm -hmm. um where again like that red plate is an extension of my instrument it like this guitar doesn't exist like I might like my instrument is not the guitar. My instrument is the guitar and the amp. Like that's mm -hmm. really what it's becoming. Um, and it's like, you might as well chop the guitar in half in a way, if you can't get that experience. 
So, yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting to think about. Again, not all the time. Like, red side visible, like, a lot of the stuff is not like that, really. It's a little more yeah. programmed. Yeah. But, like, my ideal, like, sort of, like, like stellar regions is probably my most, like, Tim Murphy band, in a way. Um, at least for, like, expressive guitar playing or something, uh, which I haven't put out an album out. But hopefully it's one day. Um, that that amp that 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 group in particular is very much going to be a you know it's about milking those sounds and and trying to do that. So, and and I hope to bring that to like the jazz thing too. Like the so right now I'm saying I'm more on that one, but I'd love to pull it more into two, where it's yeah because I don't I don't see that very much in that world, and I I think it should be there. I think that's one of the things that kind of shocked me a bit when I saw Chris Cross. I'm like, wait, he's playing jazz on a strap. Sure. You know, like that. It, well, there's a that, lot of people that do that, though. I mean, in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, honestly, he was like the first exposure where I saw somebody at that level that was. I mean, the strat sounded super clean. I think he's got laces in that. Because there was no strat yeah, on I think it's just like um, a Fender Deluxe. Or what are they, they, what are they used to call those? The strat Deluxe? Lux. Yeah. I don't make those anymore, I don't think. That's what I had. Because I had the light sensors in it, so uh, way back in the day. But yeah, yeah. like fourteens on there or something. Yeah, something super thick. It's but yeah, he gets guy. a great sound out of it. Um, yep. But I again, I think he's more of that type one guitar player. He wants um, it. What guitar sound is to be the only thing that you hear, and, and maybe even a little type three. Uh, I, I think it's a little less about milking the amp and again don't shoot the messenger here yeah <laughs> but uh you know it's a very specific sound it sounds a certain way he wants it to sound a certain way most you know isn't at least let's say i i don't know what he's doing today with it exactly but like at least previously that's how it was kind of was it does not take away like i think so many great guitar players are in those other good categories There's oh yeah it's not like this a ranking scale in the sense of like this yeah. means you suck or you're better it's just how do you find yourself in these particular uh the hypothesis that you've come up with like, how does this guy react like for myself i'm definitely in one like that's yeah. the it's gonna be the classical coming out as neutral as possible uh through that and i mean by neutral i mean i don't even want yeah like you. please don't change the sound yeah don't touch the eq because i'm gonna be handling that with my own playing you know yeah. if i need get a little bit brighter, I'll move on the guitar. I can, I can do all that, just don't touch it. I remember uh, Pierre used to sound like a headache <laughs> all the time, you know, cause he would, in, in a good way, cause he'd be like, he's, his ear was that in tune where he's like, yeah, pull up the, pull up the 44. And then he'd play like a bit of a song. He's like, yeah, shave off a little bit of the 60 Hertz. That, and like totally knew the spectrum and where it laid on the guitar and how it was responding in the room. Um, that's great. Hedges did the same thing. Uh, but those guys are totally number one. Totally, they want right. that particular thing with that. You know, and I don't, uh, outside of yourself and, and uh, a couple other people, it's like I don't know that many people that live in the amp aspect of that. And that's not a negative you, thing. You it's, know, it's interesting. Uh, in an odd sort of way, uh, two is sort of similar to one because what happens when I go to a PA is what I want the PA to do is only represent the sound that's yeah. coming out of the amp. I don't want them to change that. So it's like almost the same thing, but like imagine extending your acoustic guitar to the amp too. So, so, so what I'll do is since I run like two amps a lot of times, one of them will be wet, one of them is dry. 
and they'll try to make the both amps the same volume so they'll raise the wet amp volume in the mix because it's quieter and i'm like no let let me control put them yeah. at the same fader level same gain let me i'm going to control how loud the wet amp is yeah yep um and that's it's kind of an interesting because yeah it's the same kind of deal like don't don't try to get tricky with me just play what i'm like represent yeah. what i'm presenting whatever you do don't touch the suck knob just yeah. don't, don't turn no, that, that that's already on that's on just because i'm there but <laughs> so that's the best far side i think i've ever seen <laughs> i don't think Jim, i saw it it's like it has like jimmy's last i think it's a far side but it has it, just the captain is jimmy's last day is the the sound guy and it has him at the board and there's a big knob at the suck and he's like cranking it you know it's like yeah that'll do it that would do it uh and the sound guys definitely factor in a, a huge amount getting a good sound guy is worth it sound person sound person yes whatever as long as they're good at it i don't care just show up and make it sound great that's all that matters and uh it's uh that yeah because i i've done stuff where the guy is like person is absolutely phenomenal and other ones where it's they think they're phenomenal and you're like oh my god you know it's it's like, so it's interesting being in like the sort of fusiony jazz world where the kick drum a lot of times is like it's pretty quick and there can be like almost ghost notes on the the kick drum like you know these kind of things but when you when you go somewhere where there's a pa a lot of the sound a lot of times the sound person will make it like a metal band Yes, compressed. So it's so compressed and like super gated. You just get like, you know, whatever. It's like, no, it needs to be like, it shouldn't be like knocking people over. You gotta, like, it's gotta be subtle and like, you need to be subtleties and stuff. Most, I mean, it's not the most popular genre in the world, no doubt, but most of the sound people don't, um, they just aren't used to it. So you have to talk to them about that. They, they usually change it back anyway. <laughs> they go back to the big gated, like, kick you in the butt thing. But That's just sound things. And not that we're bashing on, on sound guys or anything like that. But it's guitaristic, stereotypical jokes. And there's good sound guys jokes and there's bass player jokes. Everybody's got their own little niche of, like, I'm dealing with this particular aspect, you know. It, uh, I would shoot. I don't, I don't remember the last time I played. Oh, no, I, I guess I do remember the last time I played Electric on a gig. I was doing that thing for the Ohio Light Opera playing, uh, in the pajama game. It was a lot of fun, but like they reached out to do it and they're like, You're a classical guy, and I'm like, Yeah, they're like, Okay, can you do this? And I'm like, Sure, you know, I mean, the money was great, I wasn't going to turn it down. And I get there and I get the music, and it's total chord charts for a show with strumming and everything else. And I'm like, all right. And I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to get over the pit orchestra, even with my concert guitar in the pit and have the people hear me. Like even Mike, it's like, it's just, I'm way too close to the other instruments and everything else. So like originally they had me bring my classical to the first rehearsal. And then the, I'm like, well, why don't I bring my acoustic with some type of PA speaker that I could throw in, you know, it's a small compact thing that I could stuff under the chair. And that wasn't enough to cut it. And I was like, can I, you have a lead line in this one, like there was a small solo in one section. I'm like, do you mind if I just bring my amp? You know, let me just bring the electric guitar and let's do it that way. And they're like, oh yeah, sure. That's, that's exactly what we're going for. I'm like, <laughs> okay, 
you know, it, it should have been that in, in the beginning. But, you know, it, it it was one of those things where it was uh, – I was under the impression they were looking for a classical guy. Yeah. And they were impression they were looking for one. You know, it uh, – and then we kind of like th- – through quick discovery, it's like, yeah, that's not going to work with a full orchestra unless it's the Aaron Wes and I'm sitting in the front type of thing. Uh, that isn't going to be it. So that ended up being like – Definitely a two because I had to use the amp as that voice for the electric guitar, you know, and I, I tweaked it all up for that particular gig in terms of like gain levels between the, my clean channel and my lead channel for that my one little starring solo. And, uh, you know, it just on a side jaunt, just because this, it's one of those things where it's like, you know, if I would have just freaking known that yesterday, I could have made my life 10 times easier. Well, there was a track on it, you know, that, uh, was a it was a country western thing let's see and it cooked you know it was in uh it was in two you know like that type of picking thing but it was like seven minutes long you know and that's fine for like a three and three minute song but seven minutes was like i like got the sheet music i'm like Oh my Lord in heaven, I am going to have to build up some serious endurance and everybody would. So I literally like sat there for a week, just drilling it with the metronome to get my picking hand going that quick and build up the sustain. And I'm going through the, the whole thing and every show, it always seems like it was just out of reach. I did it okay. You know, and, and some nights were better than others. I was mostly on it and I'm like, God, why am I just like always just a little bit. And then the second to last show, the conductor uh, you know, we were just talking and I, we weren't talking about like how bad I was playing or anything like that. It was, it, it was not that type of conversation. It was, I was just looking at his score and I'm like, wait, this is at 160. Mine says 150. He's like, oh yeah, don't ignore, uh, ignore that. Do this one. I'm like, well, if I would have known, I would have been drilling it at that thing. Cause I was always like, I always felt like I was out of shape there. And I'm like, I definitely drill it. I was playing that song for 20 minutes, you know, just to make sure I could hold it. Yeah. Um, and then after the whole freaking thing, I sat down and I was like, like using my fingers and getting the same tempo without a problem, like not struggling into the strumming. And I'm like, seriously, like I just went three months of playing this, like from drilling it with a pick. And I literally sat down and just could do it with my, cause it was like a quasi tremolo. And that was like, I already had that going, you know, if I would have known that. Would have wrecked my nails on it, but it would have been worth it because it would have been a hell of a lot easier. Um, that, that reminds me of a the, this Jewish wedding gig I did, um, which I'd done some of these kind of things previously. But the the last time I did it, um, there was it was like all in ears. There was a um, a monitor for each player where the pages would change, and there was like a concert master and everything, and they would actually change the pages, hundreds of tunes. Um, wow. all sight reading um and i would switch between playing rhythm and and melodies and I, like i'd never seen these tunes you know <laughs> or maybe they might have sent i don't i don't know but, i mean there's like hundreds of tunes it's like impossible to go through every tune in some reasonable amount of time you know what i mean yeah. so yeah. it was a sight reading gig and uh and there was a concert master and so they imagine there was a whole band there's horns i think there was sax and trumpet uh, bass, keyboards, drum, two drummers, and like th- two or three singers, and then the concert person who would be in your ear. So it's all in-ear monitors sitting at this thing. Um, I was playing through a modeler kind of thing, you know. And I had to take solos every once in a while. So this is like Jewish, let's say Jewish rock music. 
I, I wish I knew the name of it. I'm going to do it this justice, whatever it's, whatever the type of music it's called. Um, which is incidentally that particular style of Jewish music really like shred guitar. <laughs> like, so, um, anyway, the, every song was that tempo, you know, like, you know, like, uh, I don't know, whatever tempo it was. And, uh, and so what would happen is that the sheet music would be in front of you and that it would be like, Hey, on the fifth bar, we're going to switch to the other chart on the next page and start. So it'd be like in five, four, three, two, one, and then switch right to the next chart. Same tempo, different key, different chords, follow that. That page would shift over and then a new chart would pop up kind of thing. And you'd be playing through this chart. <laughs> and this would go, this went on for like, I think it was like a three hour gig. And it was all like bar chords. Oh yeah, yeah. And uh or I would play the melody. I would like play the melody just to like save my life. You know, like double the melody with the horns or like do a harmony or something. So I'm like also you're like reading at tempo and it was quick. It was probably like 150 beats per minute or something. Um <laughs> I just remember my like forearm after that gig was just shot. Like I was oh, yeah. like I I'm like, I don't know if I can pick up my keys. Yeah. <laughs> um yeah. And uh, it was it was kind of fun though in a way you know it was a pretty interesting gig, uh, so yeah so I kind of remember that I, I was also gonna say I used to do a lot of pit orchestra stuff a long time ago, and I, I always thought that the guitar stuff's always really funny in those right like especially if you play a bunch of different shows oh yeah I, yeah. I was working with this this these people that like every week there was a different show, um kind of thing, so and it would be a, the Broadway score you know. And it's like half the time, like half the notes aren't even on, like on the guitar that you know, exactly. they're only out of range or something. And then one would have like half the, like sometimes they'd have good chord symbols or something. And other times they just write the notes and, you know, you never know what you're going to get. And there's like these weird time signatures and stuff you that happens. The chord and be like that, that, what? Yeah. What chord is that? <laughs> How the hell? You know, it's kind of trying to figure it out. And it's like, I want that voice. That voicing is impossible unless I'm like this, you know, and for that brief second that it goes by, you're getting that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, whatever, I'm just playing the power. Oh, yeah, 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 for sure. And then, yeah. you know what I noticed with those gigs, too, is like, when anytime there's like a guitar solo thing or like the guitar is like a real part of the thing and not just like a rhythm instrument, mm-hmm. um, it's always like they just want the like the most cheesy, cliche, like guitarisms. It's, it's always, and that's what they want. Like that's, that's the selling point. And I, I kind of wonder too, like the other instruments have that same feel. It's like you're a violinist and it's like, Oh, here's the cheesy violin thing that we always have to do. You know, yep. Oh, I'm a flute. I guess I better do a trill, you know, like, I, but there it is. Yeah. <laughs> Probably. I mean, they're all cliches. For Everybody's it. got like, yeah, their little cliche thing. And we're just like, we stack all these things on top of each other and it's great music. Yep, yep, it works. It's, uh, what was it? There was a, yeah. and they, they always throw it all in flat keys. So if you're ever going to get a gig, you, you ain't playing open chords, not for long. <laughs> You'll get like a little respite if yeah. they go in like. It, it is the place, you know, it's funny, like in all my music, like career, um, you, you like, you really don't see like a lot of stuff in 
D flat major, C yeah. sharp major, or whatever, F sharp major. Eh, yeah, sometimes, but it's fairly rare. But yeah, when you play pitch shows, because it's all like tuned to singers and stuff. Yep. A lot I of really... times you, you do get those keys. It's like G flat major. And you're like, wow, I don't remember the last time I played G yeah. flat major. I think I've ever played that. And of course, you don't put it in F sharp. That would be like more of a. Yeah, right. Thing. Yeah, and it just happens because, well, either it was a just poor writing or it, it maybe there was a good reason it was G flat because it was the fourth it or whatever. It was the. Yeah. Either way. Yeah, so some kind of resolution to some other key or something. But yeah, either way, you end up in these places where it's like you never see that stuff anywhere else, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's fun, but it makes me think that those guys that were doing the shows hating guitar players, like, how, can, how can I screw with these guys for the entire time? I know. I think they just don't know, just don't know how to do it. I did do one where uh, uh, it was Amanda La Mancha, and there was, I was subbing for somebody on that. And there was one song of it that was in B flat. It started in B flat minor. And then yeah. when it pops up to B minor, I'm like, they clearly hate the guitar players. Like, and this was another one where it's like six and a half to eight minutes, depending on how the singers went with it. So I was just like, screw this. And I just brought a capo. <laughs> and, I just, and I just played it in A minor. And then I played it in B flat minor for like the, the end of it when it did the key change. And I, I'm like, I'm not that was, killing. That was easier for you than going from oh. B flat to B, B minor? Oh yeah, ton time because it gave me open chords because most of it was in B flat minor, like most of the oh, thing. And it was all like strummy chord stuff. Oh yeah, oh, yeah, okay. constant chords, everything else. You know, it's like it, you get to the point where your thumb is just totally dead, and you're kind of just yeah, pushing, right. you know, and hoping that it all comes out. And it's just like okay, it's true too. Yeah, the, there are there are like some but like strum this chord, and you're like, it's not a good chord to strum, you know, like whatever, whatever it is. You're like, that's not going to sound very good. I don't like who thought that was a good sounding chord. Apparently the guy that hates guitar players. So it's interesting, you know, like when you work with different conductors, most of them are, you know, let's say average in a sense, but you occasionally get those like conductors who like hear every little thing. Oh yeah. Yeah. They're like, you know, you're not playing the ninth in that chord or whatever. Like I don't hear the, you know, you're like, dang, <laughs> like there's 70 other instruments and you happen to hear, you know, <laughs> what the hell are you picking on me? Yeah. <laughs> but no, it's, it's actually really amazing, right? Those are incredible yeah. musicians yeah. Um, with monster ears or at least, or they're picking on guitar players. But um, the guy that uh, with the Ohio Light Opera, the thing that amazed me with him is he was doing three different shows with it. Cause they like rotate like six different operas during that entire season. Uh, he was doing three and they had another guy doing the other three, but this guy had to be the most organized man on the planet. Like it was on, it was awe inspiring. Cause seriously, yeah. he had like, he had the full concert score and the, the actual play intertwined. He like set up his books so that it would open them both ways and follow along with everything. It was stunningly done, like super efficient. And he was a great guy, a phenomenal conductor, you know, uh, all around. I couldn't, uh, I was really, really glad to work with him. And so the other guy with him in La Mancha was as well, but this dude was just, when he showed up, it was relaxing as a player because you knew he was in control. Like, yeah. all right, this is just, this is not going to be a problem. You know, and it, it's going to go really well and everything's going to be fine. And uh, that was an excellent experience. I, I would love to work with him again in that regard because it's like all right sweet we're on you know he, he definitely knows what he wants he's going to tell me exactly what he wants when he wants it it's going to be clear and that's it you know yeah. and that 
that helps it calm my nerves a little bit because you know there that uh that fast song was i would always dread it it was number 13 in the book it's like oh god here it comes here it comes lucky 13 Whew, and i'm done and that would be like right before the uh right before the break so that was good because i had all that bar cord and then i got a chance to go <laughs> the water and come back you know dip my arm into ice water or something I, you know i remember thinking too like before playing jazz i played just rock music and you play bar chords all the time and you get good at it and it's like no big deal at all like you don't think about it but then when you don't do it and then you have to do it you're like wow this really takes some energy yeah, yeah. yep the old, like, I remember watching Dave Matthew going, how the hell does this guy play bar chords for three-hour shows? Like, how do you do, what type of endurance thing? And then it was like, oh, well, you get there eventually, you know, when to, you do it a lot, just whatever. And that, and there's always, a, as I tell my students, so as soon as you start thinking weight rather than squeeze, like the weight of your fingers and, and arm versus compression, you you get a whole lot more endurance because you're working with gravity and the way the, the guitar is versus just brute strength. Yeah. Which lasts for a while. And then it's just like, oh my God, I can't move my fingers. <laughs> <laughs> I have the days of, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Uh, I think I can get it. I hope I can get it. Here goes. You know, sorry, you're just getting the roots for a little bit so I can get my fingers back to move, you know, or whatever. And, but yeah, those are times are mainly during rehearsal like a whole show it would be tiring but you'd be able to do it but like the rehearsals where it was like four hours of rehearsal and you let's run that one again seriously that one with the bar chords okay you know, and, and i would do that i mean i would sit there and just do the power chords and i'm just like i can't keep doing that and move it that well and get it defined you know i started playing five bar chord like the, this type of bar chord just with the one finger just to make my life simpler which is actually a great oh, yeah. little that, that actually that reminds me of there's this guy um i don't i might have sent you a thing of his this week alex mosley he played with lisa lisa cult jam band like oh. maybe the nat like most impressive natural musician i've ever met possibly um just a little so he played at lisa lisa cult jam band but he used to play with bobby brown and all these people um, nice. in Brooklyn. So when I was in Brooklyn, um, interesting guy, um, plays. So he would come to this music store, but he plays guitar and he can like play all this like McLaughlin stuff and like, just like a monster guitar player. And he actually plays bass mostly, but then he plays piano. And I remember, I actually remember the day where he was like, oh man, have you checked? I just checked out Art Tatum. And then like a week later he came back to the store and he's playing like Art Tatum stuff on the piano. Like he learned it by ear and he couldn't read a lick of music, not one lick. I hate those people. And uh, <laughs> it's a good he, thing. Just, he could hear it and he could play, you know, like if he heard some chord, he could hear it and just play something back for you. He could respond, just monster ears. And he would do like studio sessions or whatever. Anyway, long story short, he used to play with Bobby Brown and a lot of the music was really repetitive, you know, so like the guitar part would just be like, boom, bonic, bang you know whatever for 30 minutes <laughs> and he was like you would he's like yeah you first you play it like the normal way you know whatever it was you know um but then your hand would start getting tired so then you'd like switch to <laughs> switch to the you know like anything to like make it like 
because your hand would just get tired, like, or whatever it was, you know, like, just something to, like, because your hand would get so tired from playing that same thing over and over and over again, especially, like, with, like, funk music and stuff where a lot of it's, the the power of it is the repetition of that yeah. thing, you know, not changing it. So it was kind of funny. What defines hard in a particular style with a lot of repetition? Yeah. It's an endurance thing. And that clearly takes a lot. It takes a lot of chops to just be able to do that. And I think that's one of the things that, at least for myself, it's like for my own musical journey, and we should probably end somewhere with this, I think. Um, But uh, for my own musical journey, it's like when I started out playing guitar, it was like as soon as I could nail a hard lick, I thought it was the hot stuff. You know, and just like, aha, you know, I'm this much better than this guy. And all these guys suck. And And then the more I got into playing, the more exposure I got to to playing and different styles of playing. And mainly, I'd say within the last like seven to ten years, getting my ears opened to the intricacies of other styles in a really deep way versus just kind of like, oh, I'm just not going to listen to that, you know, or whatever, where it's like, no, I got to play it. And I'm not just talking classical. I'm talking like funk, jazz, blues, you know, pop, sure. even pop and stuff like that. It's like, all right, there is a hell of, uh, t- that seems to be my word tonight. There's a heck of a lot of work that goes into each of these styles, even though it's relatively, quote unquote, simplistic in its overarching structure. It doesn't mean to get to that point that did it. And I was talking with a good uh, a, a good buddy of mine uh, who just got signed for doing all electronic stuff. Like he, he's the electronic whiz kid. I've yeah. done stuff over zoom with him and the way he flies around pro tools doing like different effects for synth stuff it's like yeah that's that's a lot of familiarity that i don't have for that you know but i don't live in that world so whichever but my point is is that like you know he's working on this tune and he's like the difficulty with the pop music is everything has to have a hook everything has to be able to kind of like pull you in with that and it has to be good but you don't want to overdo it you know to the point of now it's cheesy. It's like, so you have like all these little small parts of like 10 to 20 seconds of music that has to have this hook to it. And you have to have that going for like five minutes or three and a half. Yeah, you right. know? <laughs> yeah, but it's like, that's a tough thing. It's like, how do you keep it up that entire time? And so that was really eye opening more so than just being like, oh yeah, that's kind of cool how they mix that type of thing. It's like, no, that's where the work aspect of it comes in. You know, I don't necessarily... Okay throw it on all the time, if at all. <laughs> but, you know, that's just a personal preference. And I think that's one of the things that we, as musicians, got to mature. I'll just come out and say what my thoughts are and then watch the, uh, well, hopefully watch the comment system blow up <laughs> with stuff like this. But, like, I think that a mature musician, a mature musician, you can tell I'm getting tired, a mature musician uh, can appreciate the work that goes into styles that they don't necessarily go, Hey, I'm going to listen to that. It's like, yeah, I get what's going on. Okay. That's cool. But I'm going to listen to this over here. And like the other guys that play that style are the same thing. They're like, yeah, I really like the style, but and I get what you're doing over there and I can respect that, but I ain't going to be turning that on when I'm just enjoying music. Um, sure. Just a sign of just grown up. Yeah. I, th- I think, you know, like I know when I started playing, like, well, yeah, you go through those phases, especially in the beginning, where it's like, this is the greatest thing ever, and everything else sucks. <laughs> Only my style is good. Everything <laughs> else is horrible. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, at some point, it starts to, like, I don't think about it like that at all anymore. Yeah, same. Uh, same. 
I like it all. I there's not much I don't like. I I'm not sure there's it's only one particular style <laughs> that I'm like I really struggle to like it all. Um which I guess I'll just say, which is pop country. I just Oh yeah. Really strong I have a really hard time just enjoying it. Um and I think that's me. That's my problem yeah. to deal yep. with. Um, I can generally enjoy, like, I'm not going to be like, oh, that's a bluegrass. I'll be like, oh, cool. I'll check it out. Or that's, um, even like sixties country or something like, yeah, I'll check it out. Why not? Yeah. I'm, and I'm going to go into it with a positive attitude or, or pop today. I don't, I'm, I don't mind listening to pop. My kids listen to pop all the time. So I get to hear it a lot. Um, or whatever, whatever it's called. I guess it's always pop, but <laughs> the current music of today's like that's coming radio. Out. Yeah, radio, uh, new music. Yeah, um, it's fine. You know, I, there's a there's something I can get out of it. Just I I don't might not gravitate towards it all the time, but I can appreciate it. Mm. But yeah, it's funny. Like for the longest time, I hated so much stuff. And, uh, yeah, I guess it's just growing up. You know, and it I, it's also it's growing up. And I think the other big thing that was great with that is that God, I wasted so much stupid energy being negative. Oh yeah, it's like. If I would have taken my attitude, like if I could go back and meet myself at the, you know, 17 after I've been playing for a while and kick yeah. my own, <laughs> you know, it's just like you're being a pompous little prick, you know, um, and get over yourself a little bit. I would and kind of open the ears in a different way. It's like the easiest thing to do would be like to take that 17 year old kid and go, here, you play it. No, and, no doubt. So last question, we will close it off. Would your 17-year-old self like it anything that you're playing now? That That is a big question. Just a quick and yes I'll, or no, and then we'll get into it next time or something. All right, sounds like a deal. And I would say no. Yeah, I feel the same. They'd be disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> I'm disappointed in myself in this weird... But it, imagining what that person wanted compared to what... I like now. I, I'm glad that didn't happen, I guess. But. Yeah, same camp. You know, it's like I never, out of any genre and everything at that age, I never would have picked this guy's going to be classical. Yeah. Like for myself. And now it's like that's pretty much all that I, I live in, unless I'm writing on a, for another project or something like that. You know, it's sure. just, speaking of which, I'm almost done with Schindler's List there. That har those harmonics on the end have been completely mapped out. You know, I've, I've ditched the ones that are literally impossible and no idea where to play. But uh, it, uh, and I just fretted them. I mean, I didn't bother to look to see if anybody else did it. I just figured I'd put my own spin on it. But uh, it's getting there. Got the last page to kind of work through. And the only part that's hard is the harmonics. So, and hard being that it's going to be fast. That's yeah. it. Cool. Cool.